There's a woman named uh, Anne Lamont, a well-known author. She's been writing Christian books, books on faith and spirituality and doubt for probably two decades. Early on in her adult life, she shares part of her story of coming to God. She was far from God. She was in a, a deep depression in her life. She was an alcoholic. She had been in an abusive relationship. She had had an abortion. She had a child out of wedlock. She was in a dark place. And she was walking down a sidewalk one day after hitting rock bottom. And she was walking down this sidewalk. And it happened to be a Sunday morning. And as she was walking down the sidewalk, she began to hear singing. And it was a cappella singing. And she just heard these voices that were singing. She didn't know what they were singing. She couldn't make out the words. She just found herself moving toward, toward the toward the sound, and she ended up inside of a church where there was singing and praise happening, and it drew her into this family and into this community and into God, and that's kind of how her story of coming to God happened. And, and I know some of you may not be in a place like Anne Lamont was in years ago, but I bet some of you are in this room today, and your life has been shaken this year, and you don't feel like there's a foundation under your feet, and I also love the part of that story of the praise of a church that didn't even know at the time that we're lifting up praise in a way that was evangelistic and drawing people in. But our praise is, is a witness to people in this room who may be far from God or who don't know God. Or our praise becomes evangelistic in itself that we're offering up ourselves to God. And in doing that, we're, we're asking God to spread this goodness all over the world. It's just how it happens. So we're in the last Sunday of about a 12 or 13 week series and we've been walking through the book of Hebrews. If you want to open your Bibles there, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12 today. It's where the book of Hebrews builds. I know there's 13 chapters in Hebrews, but chapter 13 is kind of practical advice to the church. Chapter 12 is where it hits this crescendo and it builds to this point. And almost every week I've stood up on the stage and a couple of other people have stood up too and I've just talked about, hey, don't give up. Like don't don't drift away, don't fade, don't lose focus, stay focused on God. And Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 is a verse you heard already today. And almost every week, the last three months, you've heard this. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. As important as doctrine is, we don't glue our eyes to doctrine. As important as the church is, we don't glue our eyes to the church. The focus, it's on Jesus. We look at him. We, we study him. What does it look like in your life? If you had to, to articulate today to someone else, how are you making daily decisions to focus on Jesus? Hopefully you would respond with some kind of, there's a prayer commitment in your life that's keeping you connected to God. Or I think you would say that there's, you need to be in the word of God, study or pray a psalm, be in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, open the Bible for your own spiritual edification and encouragement. For my family, one thing we've started doing over the last year or so is every day before we go to school, almost every day, there have been times we forget, but we, we just draw a little cross on each other's hands. We just put it on the right hand, a small cross. We take ink, we put a cross on there. And it's a reminder throughout the day, if you're, if you're having a tough time, if a friend has done something to you at school, if, if I'm in a moment of tension or stress at work, I can look and we can be reminded of the cross. We can be reminded of Jesus. Now, it's also a test to see if my boys wash their hands in the day. Because if the next morning we're about to draw crosses and that cross looks like we just drew it, we got a problem, Right? You did not sing happy birthday twice as you washed your hands, right? 
Sometimes Noah will put up both hands and he'll be like, Dad, I know Jesus died on one, but I need two crosses today. One here, one here. Just in case something happens to my left, I got a cross. Right, I got a cross. It's focus on Jesus. How in your life are you staying focused on Jesus? There's one thing Hebrews talks about a lot, and it's, hey, you've made a confession before that Jesus is the Lord of your life, the Savior of your life. You've made this confession. Now, what does it look like for you to honor that confession throughout your life? Anytime I do weddings, anytime I do premarital, we talk about this. Hey, the wedding is a beautiful thing, but the wedding is preparing you to go and live out a marriage. Your confession isn't the end of itself. Your confession that Jesus is the Lord of your life, your baptism isn't where it ends, it's where it begins. It's launching you into this life of trying to live what it means to follow God in all that you do. And what's really hard, and Hebrews talks about this on every page, is when life is shaking you because of illness or bankruptcy or relationships aren't going well, there's insecurity in your life, there seems to be no stability. When it feels like life is shaking you, you turn on the TV and you look around and everything in the world seems to be shaken too. When it's shaking, how do you stay focused? Back in September of 2015, there was a popular article that was written. It was called Googling God. And in this article, what they talked about was that most people are more honest in a Google search engine than they are with a friend or a family or clergy or a pastor or their church or their life group. What people will write into a Google search engine is also often more honest than what they may even talk to a therapist about. So what this author did is they did research to find what are the faith questions that were Googled more than anything else. And here were the six that rose to the top. In this article, Googling God, the six questions people put in the Google search engine more than anything else was, why does God allow suffering? Why does God need so much praise? Why does God hate me? Why did God make me ugly? Why did God make me gay? Why did God make me black? And they may be questions that people didn't want to talk to anyone else about, but that's what went into a Google search engine just to see what, what are people saying? What else, is, what else is out there? And for these people, the questions they were asking about faith, it wasn't does God exist? It was almost like they're writing questions or making statements in a Google search engine that they believe God exists. Is that it's just that they are disappointed in the God that they believe in. And in the book of Hebrews, you have people who are asking a lot of questions. They're, they're getting pressed. There's some persecution happening. This whole Christian thing doesn't seem to be paying off very well. And here they are with all these questions about faith. And some of them are choosing to kind of step away from the church and step away from their confession. Yet Hebrews is written encouraging people, hey, keep going. Don't slow down. Don't drift. Don't fade. Don't turn around. Don't go back. Keep moving forward. Keep, <clears throat> keep your eyes focused on Jesus. So I want to take you to the crescendo this morning where this book builds. And you've already heard most of this read earlier in the service today. But before I get to like the best part of Hebrews 12, I want to talk about one of the most challenging parts of Hebrews 12. And that's in Hebrews 12, 25. You get a pretty strong warning. And these warnings show up in Hebrews and they show up throughout the Bible. And this one says this, all right, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? There are these warnings that show up in the Bible, and there are a few of them throughout the book of Hebrews. And there are times where warnings are 
like the warnings are there for a motivation. Like trying to motivate people to live a better life, to take seriously their faith. Parents, we do this all the time, right? I've told you before, every time uh, that I would go out with friends on a weekend night or in the summertime, my mom would meet me at the front door. Before I was going out with friends or on a date or going to a party, my mom would meet me there. She would give me the biggest hug and she would say, Josh, you remember whose you are tonight. You were God's and you were mine. And don't embarrass God's name and don't you dare embarrass my name. And there were times where my mom would look at me and she would say this. I know you will do the right thing. Have you ever had a parent or somebody tell you that? I know you'll do the right thing. And there were times my mom would say that, and I'm thinking, what if I don't want to do the right thing? I knew how crazy I was. And my mom is almost as if she was saying tonight, you're going to probably have some, some times where you're going to have to make a decision between right and wrong, between what is good and what is bad. And I know you'll choose right. She's trying to like speak a word of prophecy or truth. And maybe it was a passive aggressive way to do it. But it was, hey, I know you're going to do the right thing. And I think there are times in Hebrews and maybe throughout the Bible when warnings are talked about. And it's like, hey, here's the warning. But it serves a motivation helping you to do the right thing. But there are other times where the Bible talks about warning. It's not just motivation. It's just a warning. Like if you do this, there could be a lot of consequences that come with it. There are a couple of other places in Hebrews. And there have been debates about these passages. It's held people up before. Churches aren't really sure what to do about them. But Hebrews 6, verse 4 through 6 says this. It is impossible for those who once have been enlightened, who've tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who've tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance, to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. We read that and hopefully we say, like, yikes, maybe I should sit with that a little bit more. What is that talking about? Hebrews 10, 26 through 29 says this, If we deliberately keep on sinning, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who is treated as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified them and who has insulted the spirit of grace. So Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10 and Hebrews 12 have these strong warnings to people like, hey, there is a way to go with God that will lead you to everlasting life and there is a way to go that could lead you to destruction. And maybe it's his motivation and maybe it's a warning that's simply that. It's, it's a warning. So churches sometimes haven't known what to do with this. So there have been debates, and Churches of Christ and Baptists decades ago would meet, and they would, they would debate this in public. Where you have like the once saved, always saved. And you have places in the Bible you can go to defend that. That when the grace of God has covered someone, and someone has entered into salvation, and they, they've been baptized, and they've confessed Jesus as the Lord of their life. The grace of God has covered them, and there's nothing that can ever be done for that person to lose their salvation. And I've kind of joked about it before, and I, but, but some of us kind of grew up in, in contact where it was the furthest thing from once saved, always saved, but if, but if saved, barely saved, that if you're saved, it's not going to take much for you to be unsaved. 
Just try going one Sunday and not take communion and see what happens. Right? Uh, just go to bed one night having sinned and not ask for forgiveness. Now, for those who believe in once saved, always saved, what they would say if someone who's not living their confession, they fully deny Christ, is that they were never in in the first place. And their passion for that person needs to be for that person to live in a covenant with Jesus. And for those who may believe that you could lose your salvation, whoever that person is, like your passion should be to help that person connect with Jesus too. So I'm not here to try to solve this debate. I don't know how interested the church in Hebrews was to solve that kind of debate. Um, So we read that, and some of you may read these warnings And it may be exactly what you need in your life right now to wake you up from your slumber. Like, okay, I need to take God a lot more seriously than I do. I need to take faith more seriously. I need to try to live the kind of life God has called me to live. And for some of you, you may hear Hebrews 6 or Hebrews 10 or Hebrews 12. And you hear that and what you're thinking, because almost every single one of us can think of someone in our life, a relative, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker who we know there has been a time in their life when they confess Jesus as the Lord of their life, they've been baptized in the Christ, they've known the truth and they've known the way, but they have totally turned their back on that. And there's there's this ache in our spirit because we want people to be on the right track, yet they have lost focus of who Jesus is. And I think the, the word God gave me for some of you today is that's exactly what the church in Hebrews was dealing with too. Like we're not given the like detailed descriptions of the people who made up the church that this book was written to. But I bet in that church there was a spouse who was staying faithful to their confession in God and a spouse who wasn't. That there was a person who had been a leader in that church who was no longer attending the church and no longer even thinking about faith in their life because there didn't seem to be any payoff and it didn't seem to be worth it. And there were children who had gone astray and that church was, they were feeling that. There are places, and I think Hebrews is one of them, where Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10 is talking about the word is apostasy. Where this isn't that you went through a season of doubt in your life or this isn't a that you have some sin and you're trying to, to fight and you're trying to overcome it, but you find yourself stuck in it and there's an addiction in your life. I, I don't think Hebrews 6 and 10 and 12 is talking about that. It, all of Hebrews is trying to point you to holiness and to righteousness. So I, I, think, I think Hebrews is talking about apostasy, that there are people who've confessed Jesus as the Lord of their life. They've chosen to follow in his ways, but they full, like they've done a 180 turn. They've fully turned their back on Jesus. I no longer honor my confession. I don't need you anymore. But for those of you in the room today who have family and relatives and friends who have, here's, I think, the word of God for you. is though there are people close to you who have lost focus on Jesus, you don't lose focus. Because it may be through you maintaining an intense focus on Jesus that helps other people regain their focus because they see you even through hard times keeping your focus on Jesus. Does this word make sense to anybody? Does anybody need that word today? Just a show of hands. Now, with this warning in Hebrews 12, 25 of, hey, here's the way you need to live. Don't lose focus on Jesus. There is a warning. It's in the context of some really good stuff. 
And here's how it goes. Back up to 12, 18 through 24. You have not come to a mountain, and it's not named for you, but this is referring to Mount Sinai. This is where the Ten Commandments were given. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged and no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches a mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And for the reading of the word the church said, say Amen. Now, part of what this preacher, this author wants to do is try to paint a picture of, hey, here's how glorious it's going to be. And once I can help you imagine that, maybe it will change how you live today so that you live in a way that honors that. This is the future. Some of you, the way you watch TV and shows now, like you don't do commercials anymore. But this is what so many commercials want to do. They want to help paint a picture that... uh, Hit your imagination of here's what could be if you have this product or you have this thing. That's just how it works. And then you want it because it can help you get there. Casey and I were on a vacation a few years ago. And the first day we showed up, they hit us with one of those. Hey, we'll give you a $350 credit and a blanket and a free breakfast with a lot of bacon. If you'll sit through an hour-long timeshare presentation. And we decided to do it. I mean, I don't know if it was the $350 credit that got us or the blanket, which sounded cool. The bacon definitely it piqued my interest in this. All right? Bacon can get me to do a lot of things in life. <clears throat> so we decided to do it. Now, I've told you before, my wife loves the beach. It's her happy place. She needs the beach. The beach needs her. It's where she connects to God. It's where she connects to herself. So I remember talking to her. I was like, baby, we're going to go sit through this presentation. We're going to eat some bacon, and we're going to listen to what they have to say, but you need to be strong. Be strong. I need you to, to, to not give in. And I was so proud of her because about halfway through the presentation, we'd already eaten a lot of bacon. We had heard the presentation. She's like, sir, I really appreciate this, but we're not interested. We're going to go ahead and go on with our vacation. The problem was I was hooked. <clears throat> I was drawn in. Part of it is that it's really hard for me to tell people no in life, but part of it was the picture they painted was of toes in the sand and people who serve you all the food and drinks you want and, and, you know, hats that they'll give you and the way they'll take care of you. And they, they, they painted this picture for me. And I was like, baby, we, we need that right there. And I was like, it's, it's only $1,812, $1,812 a month. We can do this. We can make it work. <clears throat> they got me. <clears throat> what this author and preacher wants to do is like paint this picture. To strike the imagination of here's what is coming. Here's what it's going to be like. And if you see it, you'll want it and you'll want to honor it and live into it and let that change how you live today that that what we live for is what we hope for and what we hope for is is what we live for. It's just how it works. 
And what the author does is he paints this picture where he almost, it's like this author puts Mount Sinai against Mount Zion. Where Mount Sinai, this is where the tablets were given. This was where the people of God came out of Egypt. They go up to the mountain and Moses goes all the way up there to meet with God. Mount Zion, this is the city of God. This is the heavenly Jerusalem. This is where Jesus comes and has made all things right and will make all things right. Now, both are holy mountains. Mount Sinai, this is where the Ten Commandments were given, the Old Covenant. Mount Zion is where the New Covenant was given. This is where it's not just a covenant of here's the Ten Commandments and things you follow and sacrifices you made to keep you to God. This is a new covenant where Jesus has died and he's rose from the dead. And this is a covenant that brings all people together. The thing with Mount Sinai is that all the people could come up to the mountain, but only selective few and only Moses could go all the way up to meet with God. Mount Zion is every man and every woman is anointed by God to be a pastor and a missionary and a minister and a person who is an ambassador for God. Mount Sinai is a place where now there needs to be sacrifices that are offered every single year for sins to be forgiven, for people to be made right with God. Mount Zion is a reminder that Jesus did something once for all. He doesn't have to die anymore. doesn't have to hang on a cross anymore. Once for all, he did something. Mount Sinai is, there's access, but that access to God is given through a temple or through a priest or through a sacrifice. But Mount Zion is access that's been given to every single man and woman who gives their life to God that you don't have to go through a temple or a church or a priest or a pastor or a preacher to get to God. You all have access to God. Mount Sinai had a bunch of fire on it, and it was fire of, that could consume, and it was fire that brought a lot of noise and thunder and trumpets, and Mount Zion has some fire too. But Mount Zion's fire isn't to kill and destroy or to threaten. This kind of fire is to purify and to sift and to make you who God wants you to be. So it's like this author wants you to say, hey, don't keep going back to this mountain Keep pressing forward to this mountain where Jesus has made all things right, where access has been given to all of you. I was talking to uh, Truett the other day, my oldest son. And um, I was like, man, I I think one day, like when God comes back and makes all things right and Jesus makes everything better and heaven is fully established. Like if we ever bumped into Moses, I think there was a time in my life I would have gone up to Moses and I would have been like, dude, I am so jealous of you. I wish in my life I could have experienced a a bush that was on fire or a sea that parted. And I think Moses' response to me, or to you, if you ever see Moses one day in heaven and you're like, man, I'm kind of jealous of those encounters you have with God. I think Moses would say, I had some really good moments with God. But I think Moses would also say, you've got to be kidding me. You're jealous of me? I'm jealous of you. Because you got to live on the other side of God coming into human flesh. you got to live on the other side of death, burial, and resurrection. you got to live on the other side of the Holy Spirit and dwelling inside of every believer, teaching them right from wrong, helping them move in the way of God. you got to live on that side of Jesus launching the entire church to be a force in the world. And you're saying you're jealous of me? I'm jealous of you. And I think at this point, Abraham and David and Noah and Daniel and all these other people are gathering around Moses saying, we are on Moses' side on this one. 
We're jealous of you. you got to live on the time when God was placing power and authority upon the church because of the resurrection of Jesus, because of Mount Zion. And the way this thing builds and ends is in verse 27. It says, the words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. That is created things so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. It's like this call to passionate worship of gratitude for, for all God has done. Because that church is being shaken by life. And many of you are being shaken by life too. There are things in your own life that are shaking you. And we come into Thanksgiving week, which are reminders for some of you who have lost loved ones over the last year or so, moments of grief. Some of you love your family. Some of you kind of love your family. Some of you can't stand your family. And some of you, you're excited to be with family, but you know all it takes is one word or phrase to set that whole Thanksgiving dinner and just a bomb will go off. Just say something about women praying in church and see what will happen. Mention the word impeachment and just watch it blow. <laughs> Ask for a vote on who wants the president in, who wants him out. Just see what will happen, right? Like life shakes. The world seems to be shaken. But the image you have in verse 27, 28 of Hebrews 12, it's like God is just sifting. Sifting things from your life that will not be there forever. Where addictions fall and anything holding you back from God, just, it just seeps through. God's just sifting it. Where everything that can shake you now will not shake you for, forever until what is left is an unshakable kingdom. Would you get to open up your hands and receive a little bit of that now? Toby Mack is... Um, <sighs> Toby Mac was part of a group, DC Talk, back in the 80s and 90s. And that's when I became a huge Toby Mac fan. It's a Christian band that revolutionized Christian music back in the 90s. And Toby Mac has an older son named Truett, 21 years old. And when it came time for us to name our oldest child, we knew three Truetts. We knew Toby Mac had a son named Truett. We knew Truett Kathy, who kind of launched Chick-fil-A. And we knew Baylor University has a seminary called Truett Seminary. And somehow all three of those played a part in us just loving the name Truett. And I don't know if you know, I mean, I don't know how much you follow the news and what happens in a Christian scene, but a few weeks ago, Truett passed away in his house. They don't know the cause of death. It's public. We don't need to know the cause of death. But a few days after Truett passed away, Toby, who has well over a million followers on Instagram and social media, posted a tribute to his son. And it was a long tribute. He reflected. He talked about some of his son's challenges. He wrote a song on his last album that talked about some of the struggles he and his son have had over the last few years. But he ended that post with this. We don't follow God because we have some sort of under-the-table deal with him, like we'll follow you if you bless us. We follow God because we love him. It's our honor he is the God of the hills and the valleys, and he is beautiful above all things. So as life shakes you, may God lift us up above everything that can shake us 
to give us this vision of an unshakable kingdom. And may that alone allow addictions to fall and fears to subside to where what is left is just focusing on Jesus and rallying around that in all we do. In your own life right now, if there are those of you who you would say, this year has been a year where I've been shaken to the core. Will you just stand where you are? I don't need a confession from you. I don't need you to come up front. There needs to be no microphone you speak into. But if you would say, this is a year, it has shaken me to the core. If you'll just stand where you are. And let me end by asking elders, prayer leaders, go ahead and go to your places to receive people. And for those who are standing right now, well, those of you who are close to them, just reach out a hand and place it on them so no one stands alone. And as we prepare to sing this song, will you bow your heads with me, church? God is... People stand and just where they are, it's a confession in itself. And I don't know, and I don't need to know why they stood. I'm just asking for the power of Hebrews 12 to come upon them today. Jesus, it's just you taught us to pray to bring your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Will you bring your unshakable kingdom and give them deposits of that kingdom right now to strengthen their heart, mind, body, and soul? God, if uh, I spoke words today that have shaken people a little bit to take more seriously what it means to honor our confession or to live into a confession, may those words sink deep, bear great fruit this week. God, if I've said anything that doesn't honor you, may those words fall to the ground and not be remembered at all. I pray blessing over people as they travel this week, as they go to homes. I pray blessings of unity and peace over conversations with family and relatives. I pray for those in this room who may be experiencing seasons of grief and holidays awaken them, give them great comfort, surround them with a support system that keeps their eyes focused on Jesus and keep us focused today. In the power of the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand.